Greetings. This is Eric Sinrod from Dwayne Morris with your weekly Tech Law 10 podcast where the law and information technology intersect. As always, I'm joined by my erstwhile colleague, Jonathan Armstrong from Cordery. And is there a doctor in the house? Jonathan, who's on your mind? (laughs) Yeah, very well done, Eric. Uh, Yes, thanks for joining us. I'm Jonathan Armstrong at uh, Cordery, as Eric said, in in the UK. And one thing that caught my eye recently was the fact that the BBC are issuing court action, it seems all the way over there in California, Eric, over a website who allegedly has leaked footage of the next Doctor Who series. So uh, for those of you who don't know, Doctor Who's a sci-fi, a long-running sci-fi program. It took a career break, if you like, but it's now returned uh, probably more popular than ever. And the thing about the forthcoming series is that it's the first to feature Doctor Who being played by a female, Dr. Jodie Whittaker. For those of you who follow Doctor Who, the Whovians amongst you, you'll know that the Doctor regenerates from time to time. Many of us have our favorite Doctors, and it was announced that Jodie Whittaker would be the new Doctor in um, uh, a year or so ago. This apparently is a 53-second clip featuring her as the Doctor, and it was shared on a website called Tapper Talk a couple of weeks ago. Apparently the BBC is asking a California court to disclose who posted the clip on Tapper Talk so they can help find the infringer. The BBC says that it takes theft and illegal distribution of our content extremely seriously. Now, in the UK, these type of injunctions have been granted in the past where an organization who claims that its rights have been infringed can sue the host of the site to try and get uh, information. Uh, of course, the it's not legal action in the conventional sense in that the uh, site concerned isn't the a defendant, but it can be ordered by the court to provide information that will help pursue any alleged infringer. And the other thing that interested me about this, Eric, is that I was on holiday in Cornwall for the past couple of weeks, which is why we've had a slight break from Techlaw 10. And of course, in Cornwall, in the southwest of England, social media tends to be dominated, particularly on a Sunday night, by talk of Poldark, the series about um, about Cornwall and the goings-on there a, a few hundred years ago. And I think it's interesting that many of the U.S. fans of Poldark also seem to be following Poldark in real time using, I, I think, um, IP masking services. To, be ena- uh, to, to enable them to access BBC content as if they were in the UK, even though they're in the US. And some of them were complaining that the IP masking services weren't working that well uh, last week because there were so many people also using those IP 
tunnels to um, watch World Cup content uh, bypassing the geographical restrictions. And in some respects, I thought that was almost more surprising than the Doctor Who story. You can expect, I think, sci-fi fans, maybe this is a generalization, to be tech-savvy and to use different methods of watching content at a time of they of their choosing and in advance of general release. But I just wonder if that's Poldark's demographic. It seems to me that the Poldark demographic, and again, maybe I'm being unkind, is ladies of a certain age. And if <laughs> ladies of a certain age are using um, IP masking services and other technologies to avoid geographical restrictions on content, then is it the final days for conventional methods of watching terrestrial TV. I know my daughters, for example, I think almost never watch terrestrial TV as it goes to air. Um, I think probably I rarely do, maybe once or twice a week. And I'm wondering if there's been a rapid generation shift almost in that it was teenagers maybe and the early 20s originally who were using these methods to bypass terrestrial TV uh, restrictions and, uh, and whether that's commonplace now. So quite a few topics in one. I'd be interested in knowing how you think the Californian proceedings would unravel in Doctor Who if you were to take a wild stab. And are you seeing the same sort of things as I'm seeing in the way in which we consume TV over in the U.S.? Thank you, Jonathan, our own dear extraterrestrial himself. <laughs> you're, you're our ET. But listen, um, that was fascinating, Jonathan. Thank you for sharing all of that. Um, in terms of the California proceeding, well, in the United States, when we have cases where you're seeking to unmask the identity of somebody um, allegedly doing wrong on the Internet, oftentimes what's employed is called the dendrite case. There was actually this case that came out, I can't remember, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I believe, from Delaware. But basically, you know, what we have here in the United States is the general presumption that people can act and communicate anonymously on the Internet. It's part of your First Amendment uh, free speech rights. Um, however, that only goes so far because, of course, if you're conducting yourself anonymously on the Internet in a way that causes harm to somebody else, that that's potentially another matter. And so essentially what happens is we have these proceedings at the outset of a case where the plaintiff saying, look, I've been harmed, and for me to really sue the, harm, the, uh, the, the wrongdoer, I need to know their identity. So in the first instance court, you need to unmask the identity of the anonymous uh, Internet actor. And for a court to do that, uh, in, in the initial proceedings, the plaintiff needs to show that the plaintiff has what's called a prima facie uh, case of likelihood of success on the merits. In essence, you almost have like a mini trial right up front to say, look, Your Honor, we really have a, such a strong case that it's worthwhile for you now to give us the identity of the wrongdoer so we can really sue that wrongdoer in in that wrongdoer's, you know, true identity. Because if you don't know who you're dealing with, ultimately you can't get justice. And 
courts initially were reluctant uh, to give up the identities, but over time, I think uh, we're seeing the identities being unmasked uh, more often. And frankly, I've had cases that I've been involved in, Jonathan, on, on both sides. I've actually protected one anonymous uh, actor on the Internet because I was able to prove the other side did not have a likelihood of success on the merits, and so my client should not be unmasked, and this identity should not be revealed. Um, so there's that part. I hope that answers that one question yeah. of yours. Um, I've been spending quite a bit of time uh, uh, on, on uh, in Cornwell as part of Paul Dark. We just finished the first right. season. My, yes, my daughter, I don't know if she's of a certain age, but she's 23, and where she works all her, she and her compatriots are very interested in that series, and we've been watching it. Here, uh, if you subscribe, if you have Amazon Prime, uh, you can watch the Paul Dark series for no extra cost. And so many people in the United States now have Amazon Prime. I don't think we really get into this problem of potentially accessing the show illegitimately. Um, but to your point about terrestrial TV, I mean, I think – we're, I don't know if this is the, quite the import of your question, but it's, it's now the case that you know so many people of the younger generation, the younger adults and the teenagers, they don't really view television the way we did when we were growing up. It was like you had a certain channels you would look at and what's on right now. They just pop up on their computer and see what they can access, however they can access it and watch it. And if they find something they like, they just binge right through it. That's not like, hey, we're going to watch this particular series on this particular channel on Monday nights at 8.30, uh, if you follow me. So it's a new world. I hope I was responsive. Uh, any final thoughts or, or uh, replies to what I said? No, I guess that's our ten. so it's time for us to exterminate ourselves. <laughs> okay, then. Uh, this is Eric Sinrod. That's Dwayne Morris. You can find me at my email address, ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. Jonathan? Yeah, jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. I will refrain from trying the accents of any Doctor Who villains on the next podcast. Mm. We hope you'll join us then. All right. Take care. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Bye. <laughs>